Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. Uh, my guest is Derek Kunskin. He's a author of a book called The Quantum Magician. And I was looking at it on Amazon and looking through the reviews and, you know, about the book and everything. It seems a really interesting topic. So, uh, Derek, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Oh, thanks a lot, Richard. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've had a few science fiction authors on the podcast and uh, yeah, they're, they're very interesting people to talk to and they always have an interesting backstory. So that's what I wanted to ask you first. How did you end up uh, becoming an author? Have you always wanted to be, or have you always been, or is this new new for you? Uh, no, it was probably the first thing I wanted to do. I think when I was 11 or 10, I told my parents I wanted to be a writer, and they told me to get a real job. So in the end, I I you know studied molecular biology in university, and after grad school, I ended up in more social fields. I ended up working with street kids in Central America for a while, and then I joined the Canadian oh. Diplomatic Corps and spent five years overseas in Colombia and Cuba. Um, but yeah, I, I've always wanted to be a writer. Okay. And then um, how many books have you come out with? Is it just Quantum Magician or is there a whole whole bunch of books that are out there? Uh, this is the first one uh, that uh, I've, I've sold, uh, but I've been a, a short story writer for about 10 years. Um, since about 2007, I've been landing my short stories in the top sci-fi magazines. Uh, I mostly write a really hard science fiction, which means that the sci-fi is really enthusiastic about the scientific elements, and a lot of my stuff has involved, you know, playing with really extreme physics. I love the extremes of the universe and imagining what life could live there, but this is my first book, and my next one uh, will be out in a year, and my publisher is in the process of buying a third book from me, so things are looking good. Nice. Yeah, you know what's interesting, and, and you know, I love science, and I think I've got an okay grasp on it. You know, not great, but... Um... You know, in movies and in books, almost nobody goes into science very much. It seems like it's just they, they barely touch it and they apologize for it. But it, it seems like you go a lot further. So what's your opinion on that? What do you Are you frustrated by the lack of science in movies and TV and, and books? Or do you think it's there? You just got to look for it. Uh, I agree on TV and movies that the science isn't there. And I think it's partly just because we think of a movie as a big thing, but really it's only you know, 90 to 120 minutes, there's only so much stuff you can fit in there. And, you know, whereas in a novel, you can take a short paragraph, like, let's say 100 words and describe very briefly something and a lot of readers will, you know, be patient enough, and they'll go through that and say, okay, I need this for understanding the story, and then they'll move on. But in a movie, you can't do that. I think drama has some real disadvantages at, you know, that that novels and short stories don't have, which is, they can't get into somebody's head and they can't really get into the sort of, you know, a bit of the exposition that may be needed for something a little more complicated. Yeah, that makes sense. It's true. Like, um, you know, recently I saw Ready Player One and then I read the book and the book has so much more in it. And I've heard yeah. comments like that, you know, from many people. Oh, the book, if you like the movie, the book's got 10 times more. So it, it makes sense. It's just not room enough in a movie to have a lot of it. Yeah. And just, and I mean, it, there is some interesting stuff like um, right now, The Expanse is being turned into a TV series. And so in because they've got, let's say, 10 hours in the first 
season, they can do a lot more. They can show a bit of the technology. They can use, they can show people using the technology. They can show people reacting to the physics without clobbering people over the head with it. And I think it's it's a certain amount. It's it, like you're saying, it's about the bandwidth. Yeah. What about old school shows, you know, like Star Trek, not Star Wars really, but Star Trek. Do you think that they did a good job with showing a lot of technology or, you know, are there, are there other shows too that you think that actually do a good job showing it or, or no? Um, the best I ever saw was Gattaca, but that was mostly because it was biological science and forensics and, and the, the physics that they had was just, you know, rocket science sort of stuff, which we're all used to. But I think Star Trek, what it did really well was it took a look at the implications of technology rather than making people understand that, okay, this is how a phaser or a tricorder or a view screen or whatever would work. Um, I think they looked at the implications of what does a world look like when you've got, you know, a, a view screen that you can talk to people with, which we now call Skype, right? Um, <laughs> and, you know, the, the tricorder is not much different from, you know, the phone I'm talking to you with right now. Mm. Yep, that's true. I just imagined, uh, you know, Captain Kirk talking to some uh, Klingon on the screen and it goes, <laughs> you know, it, it gives the Skype, you know, uh, sound before he calls them. It'd be funny if they... They redid it in modern times and added those touches. <laughs> then it would turn into a George Lucas movie, I suppose, because he kept on adding yeah. stuff. But, but uh, yeah, yeah. So, so t- let's tell listeners about The Quantum Magician. What kind of science did you focus on in that book and why? You know, what did you pick? Well, um, so first of all, I started with a heist story, like, you know, The Sting or Ocean's Eleven that sort of a structure. I wanted something that's fun and something that at least in the plot is accessible to the reader and somewhat familiar because where I wanted to go with it was in a lot of unfamiliar places. So I needed to make sure that the reader had something to hold on to. Um, mm. And and basically some of the stuff I wanted to look at is, is, you know, my own anxiety with the way technology is going. I wanted to do um, a story about what happens once we're able to engineer our children, like change their DNA before they're born. Um, And I have various subspecies in my book. It's also a novel about what happens when humanity goes into space and there's no police. And, you know, in a place where politics, you know, might still makes right. The the other thing I wanted, like I wanted to leave myself space for by having a, a sort of familiar high structure was I wanted to let my wildest science fiction ideas run loose. So biological quantum computing, the possible implications of 11 dimensional space and wormholes playing with time travel and biologically engineered religion and so on. Wow. That sounds really interesting. What's um, so once you got feedback from readers, uh, did anything surprise you? Do you feel like you accomplished what you wanted to do or were there surprises for you? Um, no, I'm not surprised. Like the thing is, like I said, I've been I've been doing stuff on the short fiction side for a while, so I kind of knew what kind of reader wanted this book and what kind of reader wouldn't. And I mean, somebody who gravitates towards what we call hard science fiction is is probably going to be the the ideal sort of reader. Somebody who's you know especially curious about the science and doesn't mind the the sort of throwaway references to you know some neat ideas. Um, I have seen some people say, well, you know, there's a bit too much science, but I think, you know, those, uh, those readers, like every reader's got a certain range of stuff they like. For example, I don't tend to read a whole lot of near future stuff. I don't tend to read a whole lot of cyberpunk. It's just not my, 
jam. So, I mean, somebody can write a really good cyberpunk book and it's not going to be something I'm going to gravitate to. And in the same way, there, I write something that, you know, there's an audience for, um, but it's not for everybody. And I'm, I'm, I, I don't have illusions about that. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, from your personal training, you know, I, I guess you said you weren't, you weren't, uh, I don't know if you studied much physics, but did you have to do a lot of research to write the book to get the scientific principles or was it just all there in your knowledge base? Um, a little bit of both. Cause I started reading, I didn't have all the math I wanted to study physics in university. I think I only went up to first or second year physics in university, but I did do molecular biology up to the end of my master's. But that being said, since I was in high school, I've been reading popularized science books. So, I mean, the the same sort of books that Stephen Hawking would have written for regular folk, um, you know, Paul Davies, John Gribben, they write amazing books that are very accessible for anybody who's curious and has a, let's say, high school education. If you read it carefully, you can learn a lot of stuff. And so there was a lot of stuff already in the back of my head. But at the same time, when I needed something new and I knew I needed some fact. Um, I would go look it up. And so, for example, I think one of the things I did in the novel was I wanted to design basically a, a, a people who committed a crime against humanity in that they engineered themselves a slave species that would like being slaves. And the way they did that was they engineered the, the slave species to have religious feeling, religious awe when they saw the the master sort of thing. And hmm. Um, in Scientific American, about the time I was planning the novel, there were a number of articles in a, a mind issue about, you know, what they were discovering with MRIs, about religious experience, when people were having them, what parts of the brain were stimulated, and so on. And um, so I, I, knowing molecular biology and, and, and looking up a bit of neurology, I could figure out a little bit that, you know, these sorts of things you can trigger some kinds of religious experience. And I imagine that 500 years in the future will be better at it. Um, in the same way, I had to look up uh, a lot more on neurology for the guy who has quantum perceptions. One of them is I wanted him to be able to have sort of savant-like qualities. Like at some point he could switch from being somebody who, you know, has all of the emotional sort of abilities and language abilities to being somebody who's hypergrade in geometry and other things. And, you know, there have been studies where they've actually stimulated a savant-like state in people with either magnetism or electricity to particular parts of the brain. And so I was looking up that stuff, but, you know, it's it's not really work when you're super into it. And, you know, I was, so it was a lot of fun. Yeah, interesting. Huh. I didn't know that you could stimulate the savant-like behavior. What, what did you uh, just, you know, for a moment, what have you seen? Oh, um, this was in a 2013 special mind issue, I think, of, of Scientific American. Um, there were some helmets that they had put on people that could make particular kinds of magnetic fields, which would then activate certain portions of the brain. I forget which parts. Um, and that would activate temporary savant-like stuff. And then they also did the same thing with... Uh, microcurrents. And so they put wires into the brain in a particular spot and the microcurrent would be stimulating that portion. Uh, in the end, what I did was I took the, you know how electric fish and electric eels have these organs called electroplaques with which they can create current in their bodies. And I wired them up with 
the, this, this quantum subspecies, I wired them up with carbon nanotubules that ran to certain parts of the brain so that they could at will put these own microcurrents in their body to trigger their own savant qualities. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Interesting. Yeah, huh. it was a lot of fun. Um, anything uh, that you, you put into the book that, I don't know, you're happiest about or that you think will be the, uh, the most interesting for people? Um, that's a tough question because uh, one of the things I really like when I'm reading science fiction is I just like a lot of ideas, a huge range of ideas. And so, um, you know, I needed a particular kind of, you know, drive for a particular kind of ship. And so I thought, well, I've never seen the inflationary force being used as a propulsion tool. And, you know, this is when you get into the sort of extreme physics that they haven't even confirmed. And, you know, I'm playing with these ideas. That was that was a lot of fun. But at the same time, uh, I think what I'm most proud of is just the, the different subspecies. And I think the sort of science fiction does really good at doing cautionary tales. Like, you know, if you engineer your children, you will get you know, this. So be careful if you're engineering your children. Um, those were a few of the examples I wanted to give, not because I'm saying don't do it, but because I'm saying that even in the absolute best, most successful circumstances, there's still a very large possibility of unintended consequences. And we have to be aware of that as a society before we get into this. Hmm. Okay. Um, what's your perception, I guess, of uh, where, where the concepts that you talked about in the book I know some of them are really, really far future, but engineering your children, I mean, it seems like we already are starting to have the technology to do that. Um, how do you feel about that happening? Do you think it's likely to happen? And, you know, now that you've written the book, does that uh, somehow teach you back something in return about what you think may um, happen? So, so here's the thing. We've got, you know, I, I think you would need proper laws in place that have put been put in place by sober reflection by responsible legislative bodies let's say do can i point at a country that i think is doing everything right um you know right now there are a number of countries that are rich but the distribution of wealth is awful um and you know it, it's about it's kind of like genetic engineering except where it's medically necessary is almost a nice to have if you can't even get the basics done like is everybody getting a proper education is everybody getting enough food to eat and so on and i mean i'm looking at canada i'm looking at the us i'm looking at britain i mean these are all countries which are rich enough to provide for all their people but are we truly being responsible with our policies and i think what worries me more is that we don't even have the basics down and now all of a sudden we've got the possibility of doing a lot more and the sort of legislative paralysis that's happening in a couple of those countries is that means that nobody's taking a, a good hard look of where are we going to be in 20 years what sorts of laws do we need what sorts of education do we need to build the the society and voters of the future to re responsibly pick the right elected officials who will you know lead us through these these sort of challenges so it's not so much that I'm worried about the technology as I am about the sort of maturity of our societies. And and that goes all over. I mean, there are, you can look at any country and there's going to be some disparity of wealth that they still haven't, you know, managed fairly. There's going to be some sort of, you know, rights that aren't equally shared. Um, those are the things that I think that worries me more. 
but you're right. The, the, the possibility of engineering our children is, is now it's in 10 years, it's in 20 years. Mm. Yeah, it's coming soon. Definitely. So uh, any sequels planned for this series? Do you want it to be an ongoing thing or what's your opinion of it now that it's, you know, that it is where it is? Well, um, when, when my agent sold it to Solaris in the UK, um, Solaris immediately wanted two books. I hadn't even written the second one yet. And so, yeah, there is a sequel. It'll be out in a year. Um, <clears throat> my agent just gave them a third book as well in a new series. And um, the right now, The Quantum Magician seems to be doing all right. It's been bought by four publishers in three countries, and it's getting good reviews and fan buzz. Um hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's I'm I'm really pleased with the way it's going and um some of the stuff that's the most fun and the most rewarding is that, you know, my writing including this book is being so embraced in China. Um that's a wonderful thing. Oh, why why do you think uh China's interested in it in particular? So, in 2014, I was contacted by a publisher in China and they said, "Well, we just read something of yours in Asimov's. Um we really love it." you know, we'd like to buy the Chinese rights. I said, sure. And by the way, if you like that story, I have four or five more like it. They ended up buying all of them. And then last year, they started flying me over to China as a writer to be a guest at different conferences and stuff. Um, they seem to really like hard science fiction. And China has this weird tension. Like in 1926, in, in English, in the United States, the guy who invented the word science fiction said, I'm going to use science fiction to teach people science. But very quickly, like within a year, nobody was using science fiction to teach science. It was just science fiction was for fun and it's for entertainment. And if you learn something from it, you know, whatever. Whereas in China, right. I think that there is still that tension about is science fiction purely entertainment or is it um, something that does contribute to science literacy. And in fact, um, last month I was flown to Beijing for the World Science Literacy Conference. And they had me speak there um, about, you know, how does science fiction impact science literacy? And I mean, it was an amazing, amazing conference. There were four Nobel laureates there, plus the guy who invented Dolly the Sheep. So it was like not oh, really? a minor thing. And they brought in uh, three science fiction writers, uh, including myself, to just have some speeches on the margins of that conference. And it was just, you know, stunning that my work was warranting talking at a conference like that about how science fiction can contribute to interest in the STEM fields. Hmm. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Is do you think that uh, your writing or the collective writing of all, you know, hard science fiction writers changes the direction of science or influences it? But seems like you answered it. It does. Uh, I think if you look at NASA and you look at Silicon Valley and if you look in Hangzhou in China, you'll find a lot of people who, when they were kids, read science fiction um, mm. and even as adults continue to read science fiction. So I think that's one of the things that, that China is still sort of looking at, I think, when they when they consider, you know, educating they're inventors of the future because you know their their companies and their regulatory structures and their their you know their education system are all gearing to you know let's do more research let's invent more things let's uh let's become more and more high tech and it's really impressive to see definitely yeah hmm. well very good so um i don't know if you're going to reveal but uh any new books that you're working on right now or uh you know stuff coming in the near future um 
Yeah, I I have a story coming out in Asimov's now-ish, in the November-December issue. Um, I was flown to China in June to, or sort uh, yeah, I was flown to China last November to see a company called Ant Financial. They used to be a subsidiary of, of Alibaba, but they're a high-tech financial services company. And they flew over six Western writers and three or four Chinese writers. And the sort of access we had to the company was enormous because they, the company's top experts briefed us on their AI work, their financial security, electronic stuff, their facial recognition payments development, the way their F division, which is their futures division, showed us five new technologies um, that they want to do. And, you know, they're rolling this out to 500 million users, including poor people who live in rural areas who can now have financial services and microcredit and stuff. And so one of the things they wanted us to do was to be inspired by what we saw and write stories. And so um, I submitted that story to my Chinese publisher a while ago. And, you know, they were only interested in the Chinese rights, which meant I could sell them in English. And so that's one of the things that's coming out Um now in Asimov's, but uh, yeah, the Quantum Magician right now is is taking up a lot of my, you know, sort of bandwidth on, you know, my hopes and dreams because um, it's in its first month out right now and it's on shelves and people are buying it and uh, it's just it's it's really exciting. It's it's the dream I've had since I was ten to have a novel put out by a professional publisher. Yeah, that's great, excellent. All right, well, so what's the best way for? Um... You know, people look at the book, I guess, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, et cetera. But how about to um, to connect with you somehow? Do they have questions or feedback? Do you have like a, yeah. a forum or a place where people can connect? Uh, my, I'm most active on Twitter. And my Twitter is just uh, my name with no space. So Derek Kunskun, um, D-E-R-E-K-K-U-N-S-A-E-N. Um, and, uh, I'm always happy to be chatting with people there and that leads to my website and, and so on. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm always pleased to hear from, uh, readers and people who are interested in science as well. That's great. Well, Derek, thanks for coming on the podcast and I'm going to, uh, check out your book because I have a craving for, for science and, uh, I don't get it often. So yeah, I'll look into thanks. it. Definitely. Thanks so much, Richard. I really appreciate this chance to talk. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.